Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday. It is October the 4th, 2019, and it's a pleasure, as always, to join you at the end of the week to play that inevitable game of catch-up and take a hard look at the madness uh, that has gone on the preceding week. And, boy, there was no shortage of madness. Uh, Washington, um, my gosh, um, I never thought I would see our country, and the situation that we find ourselves in today. Uh, unbelievable. Lots of stuff to get to. Um, I thank you for joining me. If you're familiar with my program, you know my background. I'm a former immigration agent. I was a senior agent with the old INS, spent 30 years with that agency, rotated through all the squads within the investigations branch. Before that, I served as an immigration inspector, served as an adjudications officer, adjudicating the petitions filed by U.S. citizens and lawful immigrants on behalf of their spouses to provide them with green cards as well. So I got to see immigration uh, from all aspects. I've been before 17 congressional hearings in the House and Senate. I gave testimony to the 9-11 Commission. Uh, Immigration really has been my life's work. And to watch what is going on now, the vilification of immigration agents by lunatic, corrupt politicians, breaks my heart and keeps me awake at night. Our immigration laws are our first and last line of defense. It has nothing to do with xenophobia. It has nothing to do with racism. If that were the case, I could not have enforced those laws for 30 seconds, let alone 30 years. Our immigration laws were enacted by Congress, by Congress, to keep out foreign nationals, aliens, whose presence would be dangerous or harmful to America. And my program uh, that I've been doing for many years um, is all about providing the truth about immigration, how it impacts America, how legal and illegal immigration systems are failing at their primary missions to protect America and Americans, and to dispel the lies, the myths, the nonsense, the propaganda. And this isn't about political correctness, folks. This is about Orwellian newspeak, to alter people's thoughts and understanding by altering the language. And we're going to talk about something that will blow your mind if you aren't aware of it. And in fact, I got a call from uh, Graham Ledger over at One American News yesterday. Um, His his producer wanted me to go on, and I did an interview with Graham about the latest lunacy about Orwellian Newspeak. Our First Amendment is directly under attack. It has been for years, but at this point we are, I believe, a critical juncture. And I'm not trying to overstate the case. But what the politicians are now doing, the tactics of intimidation, um, should keep every freedom-loving American awake. And and I'm not a conservative. I'm a lifelong registered Democrat. I consider myself a centrist. I'm a Democrat because the old Democratic Party, the party that I signed up for when I first began voting decades ago, was the party that represented middle-class and working-poor Americans, union members, construction workers, uh, civil servants. That's who the Democratic Party used to be. They have morphed into something that is ugly, dangerous, and despicable. And I'm not going to throw any bouquets at the Republicans either. If there's any collusion to be found, folks, it's both parties working together against American workers, particularly where the immigration issue is concerned. They have been bought. They've been paid for. It's about driving down wages. It's about destroying the American dream for Americans. Uh, We have a serious problem. And it's not about xenophobia that God knows we're going to let people in from other countries and how will we deal with it. It's that we have no control over who's crossing our borders. And among those coming in are criminals, terrorists, gangbangers, drug traffickers, um, and aliens who are seeking to take the jobs that Americans were doing And when you hear this lie about the work Americans won't do, that should boil your blood. 
there isn't a job that a hardworking American won't do, but for a fair living wage. And there, folks, is the problem. So my program, if you're familiar with me, you know where I'm coming from. If you're new to my program, I welcome you. But ever since those ashes landed on my house and here in Brooklyn, I've been a man on a mission to try to wake up our average American citizens so that they will stop believing the lies being foisted on us by a bunch of crooks uh, and, and, and people who could care less about America or Americans, and all too many of them hold public office in my judgment. There is nothing wrong with a country preventing the entry of those foreign nationals who have no inherent right to enter the country when the damage that they can do is immeasurable. 9-11 should have taught us that. The terror attacks that preceded 9-11 certainly should have taught us that. I provided testimony at my first congressional hearing on May 20th, 1997, four and a half years before 9-11, and that hearing was predicated on two terror attacks that were carried out in the United States in 1993. We had a Pakistani shoot up the CIA, kill two CIA officers, wound three others, and flee the country. And then one month later, the first bombing at the Trade Center that, according to the terrorists who were arrested, they had planned to cause the death of 250,000 people. They wanted to topple the towers, and they came uh, perilously close to carrying that out. Uh, according to what I have heard from engineers who worked the investigation at what came to be known uh, as the crater or, or the pit, whatever you wanted to call the big hole in the ground, created when that massive bomb went off in the garage of the World Trade Center. If the bomb, if the truck had been filled with more explosives, apparently the terrorists ran out of money. If you look at the um, testimony of the FBI before, before the Senate about this, if they had had the money to fill the truck to the top or if they had parked the truck on the opposite wall, they might well have succeeded in getting the North Tower of the, where I believe is the North Tower, to collide with the South Tower or vice versa. Nobody would have gotten out. The seawall that separates Manhattan from the Hudson River, keeps the Hudson River out, would have been ruptured. Lower Manhattan would have flooded. Um, buildings would have toppled into buildings like falling dominoes, cascading dominoes. That was what they tried to do. As it was, they killed six people, minding their own business at work. They for a thousand. They inflicted a half billion, with a B, in damages. And the Clinton administration utterly ignored the immigration aspects of what made 9 that, that attack that preceded 9-11 possible, failures of the immigration system. In fact, we knew that immigration fraud was pivotal. The Reagan amnesty provided lawful status to at least a couple of these terrorist SOBs that carried out that attack in 93. And so Clinton came along and said, you know what, let's do the motor voter law. So if you registered to get a driver's license, you can register to vote. That opened the possibility to people getting to vote who weren't citizens. There have been investigations into that, I can tell you, uh, done by immigration. No wonder they don't want immigration being enforced. We also know that um, the Clinton administration created a monstrosity known as CUSA, Citizenship USA, where they naturalized 1.1 million aliens, and often before their fingerprints even came back, it turned out that thousands of aliens who were given citizenship not only shouldn't have gotten citizenship, but should have been deported. The laws require that good moral character investigations be conducted of any alien who seeks United States citizenship. We have so watered it down that everybody makes a big stink if they could actually run fingerprints. Whoopee-doo. We naturalize hundreds of thousands of new citizens every year. Hundreds of thousands, more than the rest of the world combined. And we just had a case of a terrorist, and I spoke about it last week, who had been living in the United States for 20 years. He was a member of Hezbollah. He joined Hezbollah before he came to the United States. In 2000 was when he entered the United States. 2005, he became a U.S. citizen. If we were doing due diligence, um, I believe we might well have found out who this guy was before we conferred citizenship on him. But don't get in the way of that wagon train. Just rubber stamp, approve everything. Whenever you hear the leader of a federal or any, any bureaucracy say, we're going to clear up the backlog, what they really mean is they're going to get out that approval stamp and work it at warp speed. And the 9-11 Commission, to which I provided testimony, made it abundantly clear. First and foremost, not only 9-11, but other terrorist attacks could not have happened 
if immigration had done its job effectively. You would think this would be the priority, and it has not been. Our, our expectations of privacy are out the window. What Fourth Amendment? Try to get on an airplane. See what privacy you're entitled to. We haven't seen an airplane involved in a, in a terror attack since 9-11 that I'm aware of. Now, maybe we've intimidated the bad guys and kept them off the airplanes. But when you read about how TSA screws up again and again and again and again and again, and they get billions of dollars and they're 45,000 employees, um, I think the terrorists have shifted their tactics. They use motor vehicles for weapons uh, these days, and not just in the United States, but around the world. On the west side of New York, about two years ago, I believe it was, uh, renting a truck and using it as a weapon, a battering ram, mow people down. And New York State turns around and says, let's give driver's licenses to illegal aliens. Being here illegally is not a minor issue. It's the equivalent of trespass or worse, you see. People who run the border, we have no record of their entry. We don't know who they are. We do not present themselves for They might just be poor and are coming to work illegally, which creates its own problems. Or they might be fugitives, criminals, terrorists. And so the idea that we're going to give people driver's licenses, the municipal ID, when we don't know who in the world they are, undermines everything. The Real ID Act was supposed to address all this, and it's still being jiggled around we're still not fully enforcing it with airplanes until next year until next year almost 20 years after 9-11 but they quickly grabbed everyone's expectations of privacy getting on board airplanes that's a multi-gazillion dollar industry those x-ray machines that god knows make us glow in the dark and who knows who may have gotten cancer from those damn machines i don't trust any irradiating machine i remember when i was a kid i'm old enough that they used to have fluoroscope machines to x-ray our chest to see if we were okay. turned out that the level of x-rays was through the roof. And they even used it in shoe stores. So if you were taking a child to buy a new pair of shoes, you wouldn't have to rely on the kid telling you whether the shoes fit properly. You stuck your feet in this machine, and you could look through this little uh, viewing thing and, and, and see if the feet fit properly in the shoes. And it turned out that many of the shoe salesmen who stood next to that machine all day wound up with cancer. Now, I know technology's changed, but I'm leery about all these devices. We create industries to protect us, but what are we really protecting? We've been naturalizing terrorists again and again and again, and, and yet the common sense, easy things that we can do that would cost little money and have minimal impact, we won't do. I think I may have mentioned it last week. I do so many interviews. Sometimes I, I forget what I've told you from one week to the other, to be honest with you. It's not that I'm getting senile. It's just that I've been busy trying to get other people to understand this darn issue. When an alien naturalizes, he or she is entitled to change their name legally at the time that they're sworn in. No extra charge. Who do you want to be? And that's fine. I know many people who decided to come to America, they're starting their life over, they want to have an American-sounding name, whatever that means. Um, I know a lot of Jewish people who came out of the Holocaust that changed their names for fear of anti-Semitism, which is still a huge problem. In fact, in New York, anti-Semitism is the number one form of hate crime. I'll get back to that because there's, some, there's an interesting thing, point to be made there. So people said, I'm going to change my name. And that's fine. I have no problem with that. You're beginning your life over, in a manner of speaking. You're becoming the citizen of a different country. Yet we allow people to remain citizens of their prior countries, which to me, I have a problem with. When you divorce a spouse, you don't get visitation rights except with the children. You don't say to your current wife or husband, gee whiz, honey, I love being with you, but every Thursday I'm going to go visit my ex and spend the night you know where are you to whom are you loyal to whom are you loyal big question of course politicians know nothing about loyalty they're only loyal to people that write big fat contribution checks for them that's what they're loyal to bribes that's what they're loyal to but what we've had is situations where aliens change their name, but remarkably, the U.S. passport that they are issued only reflects their new name, not their old name. They are putting themselves in their own witness protection program, and I've know, I know of at least one specific case, but I know there are many others, but in one particular case, an individual for four years traveled all over the Middle East, Latin America, and Europe under a new name. The guy was born in Lebanon, and it turned out he was a wanted international terrorist. 
But his U.S. passport that he used to enter all these countries all over the world that we gave him, America issued to him, only reflected his new name, not the original name, which was probably on everybody's terror watch list. What's the solution? Tell you how easy this one is. Add the original name to the passport. A teeny tiny teensy weensy drop of ink solves the problem. And when I questioned Michael Chertoff about it, and we both spoke at Chapman Law School about a decade ago, Mike said to me, Mr. Cutler, you have no idea how big a political issue that is. I said a political issue to add the person's original name onto their U.S. passport? When a woman gets divorced and married and remarried and re-divorced, goodness, in Italy, the movie stars there have this real propensity to do that. I've actually seen women come into my booth from Italy with an extension sheet because they were married 12 times. I don't even want to know what was going on. But every one of their names was on that passport so you could properly identify them. But adding the extra name for the cost of a teeny tiny drop of ink, that's too big a deal. But we can x-ray five-year-old children and, and do all this other crazy stuff. But common sense measures that would make not only America but other countries immeasurably safer, oh, that's too damn political. There was a report. A couple of years ago, I wrote about it for Front Page Magazine. And if you're familiar with my writings, you know I write for frontpagemag.com. After you listen to my program, please go check out my articles. I don't have one up this week yet. I'm working on that, and I'm working on some articles for DML News, Dennis Michael Lynch. Uh, he and I have been working together. But I wrote an article about a Saudi who came to the United States as the spouse of a student in the United States. And we didn't know who this guy really was, but it turned out that when he applied to go to flight school, they ran the fingerprints as required years later, and they found out that his fingerprints showed up, I kid you not, on an application to join ISIS in Al-Qaeda, Al not ISIS, but Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. They found his application when our special forces raided several locations. They were very organized. They actually had to fill out an application, who to contact in case of death or, or, or martyrdom or God knows what. And they found this guy's fingerprints. And the fingerprints, they were putting them into the system, which is a good idea. And when they ran his prints when he applied to get a pilot's license, and he was already in flight school here in the United States, living here for years, lo and behold, they find that this guy had applied to join Al-Qaeda. In fact, they believed that he had been in class with some of the 9-11 hijackers. Does that not chill you to the bone? And he was living among us for years in the United States. And the only reason we found him is we got lucky with the fingerprints, finally, but not when he applied for his visa to come here. This is the kind of lunacy. So he just was found guilty of conspiring with terrorists and with committing immigration fraud. The topic of my very first hearing back in the 1990s have sanctuary cities and states and cities in the democratic demand we end immigration law enforcement. When people say, well, why would they deport somebody who's never been arrested in the United States? Probably 99% of the Age terror or in the United States right now, and undoubtedly there are thousands. I can't sleep at night. Hell, I don't want you sleeping at night. I told him when I had a meeting with him, as the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, I said, Mr. Chairman, if I sleep at night, it's helpful you to sleep either. We don't know people. I will tell you, they've probably never been arrested, never engaged in arguments. We smiled, always pleasant, kept their neat. Look, when you walk by, it's just another house on the block, another apartment. They don't call attention to themselves. That's part of their training, what they call spycraft or terrorcraft. 
keep a low profile. Somebody once said that an effective spy is somebody who wouldn't attract the attention of a waiter or waitress at a greasy spoon diner. What does that mean? You know, in the movies, you know, the James Bond character is out there in his $300,000 Aston Martin, and he's wearing $5,000 suits, and he has a Rolex watch that costs more than God knows what. That's Hollywood. That's Hollywood. If you really want to see something really well done, I think, there's a movie called The Bridge of Spies. The Bridge of Spies with Tom Hanks about Rudolf Abel, the Russian spy who was swapped for Francis Gary Powers, the U-2 pilot who was shot down uh, over Russia uh, just before Khrushchev and John F. Kennedy was supposed to have a meeting. And the plane was shot down uh, over um, – or he was, may have been shot down, I'm sorry, during the Eisenhower administration, I believe just around that time at the juncture between those two administrations. But the point was Francis Gary Powers got shot down. They had a show trial. They held him. And then he was eventually swapped for Rudolf Abel, a Russian spy who was operating in New York. If you take a look at the Rudolf Abel character in the movie, it is so well done. He was just some little old guy who was very quiet, wearing bland clothing, wore this little hat, and he would do his little painting, and he would sit down at the bench, and they would have little dead drops. What's a dead drop? You put a coin or some other device under a bench. You pick it up. It has microfilm in it. Today, computer chips are used. In fact, a naturalized citizen of China was just caught involved in passing um, industrial secrets back to China with dead drops and making payments to agents that he was involved with and so forth. And today they use SD cards. The old days it was microchips. Now it's SD. You could put an encyclopedia on an SD card, you know, micro dots and and, and microfilm, tiny, a couple of documents. You could put a, a library onto an SD card. The ability to move intelligence has gone you know, astronomically off the charts, exponentially off the charts. And here we have another case, a naturalized citizen from China, just arrested, charged with with committing espionage. So we don't even know who we're admitting. And we have members of Congress and mayors and governors screaming, why are we enforcing the immigration laws? Bars have bouncers, for God's sakes. There's a sergeant at arms in the House and in the Senate. So if you misbehave, you get dumped out of there. It's common sense. But there is no common sense among crazy people and crooks. How crazy and how crazy you have to be to demand that we stop enforcing laws that indicate criminals, terrorists, gangbangers, and so forth. How many people have to be killed by third? How many more people do we have to harbor from immigration who could have been deported but dared? them because they're so valuable. Illegal aliens are the valuable people in the United States today. They surpass U.S. citizens. They certainly surpass lawful immigrants. Every lawful immigrant in the United States should be in a state of white-hot rage. If you're not willing to make a distinction between an alien who's here legally and an alien who's here illegally, what you're doing is fomenting anger towards people who did everything right the way my mother did, the way my father's parents did, the way my first uh, in-laws did. My first wife died 33 years ago. Her parents survived the Holocaust. Their families were decimated. My mother-in-law was in a concentration camp. They came legally. But we are no longer making a distinction between those folks who come legally, and we admit more than a million lawful immigrants every year, by the way. Don't let anyone tell you, oh, there's no other way to get here. We have the most generous immigration policies in the world. But when you're here illegally, we're going to call you the same thing as the guy who's illegal. So in other words, the two guys go into a bank and they walk out with money. One guy withdrew money from his bank account, and the other guy withdrew money with a gun pointed at a teller. Are we going to call the guy that took the money because he had a gun, a customer, or a bank robber? No, don't misunderstand me. I know there are desperate people who come to America out of desperation. I feel bad for them. But there's over 7 billion people on planet Earth. If we were talking about a couple thousand people, I'd say, sure, let them in. We'll take care of them. Great. Probably more than half the world's population lives below the poverty line. 
We can't bring everybody here to solve world hunger. How many American children are starving? How many Americans are homeless? And by the way, the majority of people who are homeless are white men. White privilege, right? That's a statement of racism, but no one's got the balls to call them out for it. Everybody should be treated equally. I taught my children. One day I was in a kindergarten class with my oldest son, and he pointed to somebody and said, that's my black friend from across the room. And I got very upset with him. I said, whoa, he might be black, but he's not your black friend. He's your friend who happens to be black, you see. I said, if you want me to know who to look at, because it's not polite to point, and you say, hey, Dad, see the black guy in the green shirt? He's my friend. That's cool, because that's a description. Hey, you see that girl with blonde hair? Yeah, she's the, she's the girl that I, I sit next to in, in, in you know social studies. That's fine. You're using that as a description so that I know without you pointing who we're talking about. So there's nothing wrong with saying that. You know, yeah, the black kid in the green shirt is the guy that I that I'm going to go bowling with after school. Fine, but don't tell me he's your black friend. But yet it's okay to talk about white privilege. How many whites are living below the poverty line? Because we have flooded America with foreign workers who compete unfairly with American workers, and they work for subprime uh, or, or substandard wages under uh, substandard conditions. And we're doing it in the high-tech industries also. Understand what the problem is. There's a lot of decent Americans who have been lied to, and they somehow bought the lies. It's compassionate to hire illegal aliens because they're poor people and they're desperate. I had a neighbor one day. We got into a pretty good argument. And he said, oh, you immigration guys, you know, I have these guys. They mow my lawn. They're terrific. I said, oh, I said, the college kids? Because when I was going to college, college kids, that we shoveled snow. We worked in restaurants. I worked in a, in a kosher deli when I was 14. What else would you expect from a Jewish kid from Brooklyn? But he said, no, no, no. He said, I, I hire these Mexicans. He's like, give them five bucks an hour. That's not much, but for a Mexican, that's, that's good money. I said, I want you to explain that to me because you're confusing me. What do you mean for a Mexican that's good money? Are they subhuman? Are they not entitled to the same wage as a white worker is? Is it the brown skin so you think you can get away with it? Well, no, no, but it's nothing like that. I said, then why aren't you paying them $15 now? He said, well, why should I? He said, we all know they're not supposed to be here, so it's easy to, whatever you give them, they're happy. I said, and, and you sleep at night, okay, knowing that you're taking advantage of people who are desperate. Don't tell me you're doing this for them as a goddamn favor. I'm not that stupid. I was born on a Wednesday, not last Wednesday. You are looking to hire people that you can screw over, and then you excuse it in your own twisted brain by saying, oh, well, but for a Mexican, that's good money. He says, well, back in Mexico, you know what they make? I said, yes, and that's why they're here, back in Mexico. But this isn't Mexico. Do you know what it costs to live here? I said, have you ever walked into an apartment where you got 30 men taking turns sleeping on filthy mattresses in an apartment that was designed for a family of four? Where you flip on the light switch? And, and the conditions are so abysmal that you're treated to what we used to call the moving wall. There's so many bugs infesting the apartment. You don't know what the color of the paint is on the goddamn wall. Just when you flip on the light switch, the bugs scatter. It looks like the football stands with the fans doing the wave. Where you smell the stench of rotted food. Where these people live on bare mattresses that are laid end to end, side to side. And illumination comes from a light bulb hanging off of a wire in the middle of the ceiling. I've raided enough of those damn apartments. One of my friends on his retirement said to me, he came over, gave me a big hug. He said, Mike, it's been a privilege to work with you, but one thing I'm not going to miss is the stench of poverty. And I knew exactly what he was talking about, because when you walked into those apartments, you couldn't get that odor out of your nostrils for two weeks. And why do they live that way? Because five bucks is okay for a Mexican. Don't tell me you're not exploiting people and being an unfair bum. You're doing it because you can get away with it with them, and you know you couldn't do that with a college kid. So all you do is encourage people to come here, give them a couple of crumbs because they're desperate, and you think you're doing a favor. You're saving the world. 
you know, we've got to get, grow up as people. We've got to understand what we're doing. People are dying in the desert because they don't survive the journey. They're dying in the desert because of the way the smugglers treat them. There have been shootouts between rival smugglers where they try to steal each other's load of illegal aliens. I was part of the anti-smuggling unit. We had one smuggler demand more money from a family, shake them down for an extra couple thousand, and when they woke up in the morning, they found the dead body of their uncle lying on their lawn. That's how he delivered the guy to them, dead. And we drum up business for the smugglers when you hire illegal aliens. You know, Donald Trump was trying to work with the Mexican government, and I don't always agree with Donald Trump. Please understand that. You know, there are some people, no matter what the guy does, he's their hero. You know, I, I have one friend, I am convinced that if Donald Trump walked into his house and took a dump on his dining room table, he'd call it a centerpiece. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I'm not in that club. But he's the first president we've had perhaps since Eisenhower who understands the importance of national sovereignty and secure borders. It seems as though every president, at least since, since Lyndon Johnson and, and the whole bunch that followed, was about opening up China and look what, that, what that's turned into. And opening up our borders, the Reagan amnesty was a disaster. And it even included a confidentiality provision, so we couldn't share amnesty information with any other agency. Everything else was okay, but not the amnesty files. It was an open invitation to fraud. And the 9-11 Commission found immigration fraud was the key method of entry and embedding for the terrorists. It's all about the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. They call themselves special interest groups. I just want you to stop and think about that term special interest what about american interests american interests as opposed to special interests when people corrupt organizations like the u.s chamber of commerce pump millions or more into campaigns don't you think they're expecting a quid pro quo to use a term that, that's lit up lately i mean you look at this whole story with joe biden and his and his son hunter and it sickens me and it sickens me and so I was listening to the news today, and someone said, well, why did Donald Trump send Rudolph Giuliani? I, I know Rudy, by the way. When, we, when I worked with Al D'Amato to create the aggravated felony reentry law, we worked with Rudy um, laying out the whole situation. We, we got the law passed. It's the most frequently prosecuted felony in the United States. And it's an easy case, by the way. Work a conspiracy case, you might need 30 agents and wiretaps and, gosh, and then the guy gets three years in jail for criminal conspiracy. Reentry after deportation. You put the case together in an afternoon, one agent. The guy was deported. You got the executed warrant of deportation. His fingerprint is on the warrant. You find the guy. You match the fingerprint. You go before a grand jury. You indict the guy. There's no record of him having applied for permission to return after he was deported. And if he's a criminal alien, he's looking at 20 years in jail. The average criminal alien in a place like New York who's deported and comes back gets five years, six years, seven years to serve because of reentry because the guy was a rapist, murderer, drug dealer, gangbanger, okay? And you can put the case together in an afternoon. And we work with Rudy. And so Rudy Giuliani was sent over there. Very unusual, kind of head-scratching, but maybe not. Maybe not. Put yourself in Donald Trump's place. I always try to put myself in the place of the people that I may or may with. I always do this. I was taught this by my parents. It's called empathy, something that's so lacking in America today. Everybody is grammatically challenged. They're, they only can conjugate verbs in the first person singular. The three most important people most people know these days are me, myself, and I. Look at the world through someone else's eyes. Look at the grief Donald Trump had at the hands of Mueller, Comey, FBI. Normally, the FBI should investigate this kind of crime. As an immigration, I worked closely with foreign governments. We had daily police officers sit on wiretaps here in New York when I was up at the It wasn't a matter we were investigating an Israeli drug trafficking organization. It wasn't being able to read and write Hebrew. It's knowing the slang that the gangs, the criminals. And I assure you that our translators would not be perfect. So a whole bunch of Israeli police officers so that they could do coverage 24-7 on a bunch of wiretaps, and eventually we convicted a bunch of people. They were committed in the middle of the investigation. One of the bad guys was shot. And when he was shot, by the way, he didn't think he was going to die. 
he lied about who he was morning about who he really was when he passed away and we fingerprinted him and we realized he had lied about his identity. Bad guys always use fake names. That's why driver's licenses for illegal aliens are so dangerous. You know, you think about it. You arrest somebody, you fingerprint them. Why? Because they're going to lie about their names. They're going to lie about who they are. They try to assume multiple identities. The, nine, the 19 hijackers that attacked us so viciously, so savagely on 9-11, in the aggregate used more than 360 false names and variations of false names. They got official ID and counterfeit ID and altered ID, and they went to the states to get driver's licenses where they knew it would be easiest, like Virginia. So they went to Virginia. They travel all over the country looking to get a driver's license. If you want to get a truck so you can mow people down, the easiest thing to do is rent a truck. You can't rent a truck without a driver's license. How stupid are we? But before you get on an airplane, you've got to make sure you're not on the no-fly list. It's funny that there's no, no drive lists. This is how stupid and screwed up we are. So Donald Trump becomes aware of what's happening. And he probably went to the attorney general and said, what do I do? Or maybe he didn't go to the attorney general. How many times do you get burned by the same flame? And again, I could be dead wrong. You know, I wasn't there. I don't know. But I'm looking at what the facts are. And I always did this as an agent. Remember, I did this for many years. And if you're Donald Trump, you say, gee whiz, I want to really go to the FBI. Can I trust them? I mean, after what Comey did, and this is the damage that has been done. I had a desk at the FBI for about 10 years. Many of my friends were, were bureau agents. They could be pains in the neck, anybody in law enforcement. You know, the FBI likes to take credit for everybody else's hard work. But there's some very talented people up there. Um, before I met my wife, I dated a young lady who was an FBI agent, and a couple of my good friends are, are former FBI agents, and we worked very closely together, made arrests together. But look at the way they've smeared the reputation of the FBI with what went on with this Russia investigation. They kept coming up with dry holes, and they kept proceeding. Now, if I did something like this as an agent, you investigate somebody, you find nothing on him, and now – you keep on going and go. This is obviously a vendetta that's waging. I mean, that's how it looks to me. You spent millions and two, three years investigating the president of the United States, charging him with Russian collusion and came up empty. You look at Adam Schiff. If you saw that disgusting display by Adam Schiff, where he made a statement where it sounded as though he was quoting the president, where he sounded like a mob boss. I'm going to tell you this seven times, if you remember that disgusting display. And then when he was pressured by a Republican on the hearing, and they said, what was that? And he said, oh, it was a parody. I'll tell you what I think he was doing. Now, I could be wrong. Again, I don't know. But again, looking at it as a former agent where I did investigations, you try to figure out motivation and tactics and opportunities. I really believe that he expected that the media would be compliant and would back him up and just run that soundbite. Schiff saying this is what the president said and not say anything further. He wasn't volunteering that it was a parody. He only admitted it was a parody after he was pressured. What was that? Did the president really say that? Well, no, it was a parody. Well, let's leave that out and just do that first part. What was that? And, and, and he makes that statement. Now, imagine if, if some of those corrupt news organizations just ran that clip and said that's what the president said. How many people read more than the headline these days? We've become a nation of ADD. We look at the headline and we don't even read the subtitle half the time. America has a detention span shorter than goldfish. And I wouldn't doubt that Schiff was hoping that one of his complacent, compliant co cohorts in the Ministry of Truth, you got to read 1984, folks, you'll understand it all. I think he was hoping that they would just run that clip and convince Americans that that's actually what the president had said when it wasn't. And I'm going to tell you something. I have testified before numerous congressional hearings. I've sat in on other hearings at the behest of the chairman of committees when they said to me, Mike, can you sit in and, and, and see you know, if, the, if these witnesses are credible? 
because we're concerned that these witnesses aren't going to be giving us the straight skinny. You're in the position because these were hearings about immigration. So I would sit in at the hearing, take notes, and then I would meet with the chairman after the hearing in, in, in a closed-door session. I, I had a very unusual opportunity to understand how government operates well beyond what normally you experience as an agent. I have never, ever, at any hearing, seen anything like that done. This isn't Saturday Night Live. A party where the focus of the hearing is the president of the United States in a run-up to an impeachment. Does that sound like a place of comedy? Does, does this sound like Saturday Night Live? What the president said at an official hearing? The Intelligence Committee? This seems to be a lack of intelligence in the Intelligence Committee. This is very, very disturbing. And the way the news media aids and abets the madness, uh, I have to convey a story to you. I was given the, the privilege of addressing a rally in Washington back in 2013. I believe it was in July. It was 105 degrees. I was in Arizona the night before. I had almost no sleep. I was a train wreck. And I, I spoke in Arizona. Uh, I was with a couple of members of Congress in Arizona. Then I flew into Washington. And I had a, a quite an argument with Ted Cruz about his notion that we need to bring in the world's best and brightest to lead uh, when I told him, uh, Senator, in, in Brooklyn, we have a term for the world's best and brightest. We call them New Yorkers. He wasn't happy. Because for all of his talk about securing the border, he's a big advocate for greatly increasing the number of H-1B visas. Not I said against it, give American kids that opportunity. Stop firing Americans. Look out for the American worker. And by the way, if you have a company, yeah, you want to save money in the, sh in the short run, but most companies depend on the middle-class consumer as their customers. I made that point when I was asked to address the Rotary Club in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, about 10 years ago. And I said, and I thought I was going to get pushback, and they didn't. I, I said, you know, I'd love the president to stand up, and at the time Obama was in the White House, I believe it was Obama was, well, I think it was Obama. It might, not, it might have been Bush, but I do believe this was the Obama administration. And I said, I would love to see a situation where the president would make a speech and say, listen, hiring Americans is an act of patriotism. Hiring lawful immigrants, people who are entitled to work, is not only what the law requires, this is a matter of morality. Jobs are important. If you ask somebody who they are, they might tell you their sex. They might tell you they're a husband or a wife or a mother or a father, son or daughter. And then they're going to tell you what they do for a living. In fact, some people, when you say, who are you, the first thing they tell you is what they do for a living. We get a strong sense of our identity from our jobs. If you're listening to this, think about it. If someone walked up to you and said, who are you? How long would you get down that list before you told people what you do? I'm an accountant. I'm a lawyer. I'm a federal agent. I'm a scientist i'm a school teacher i'm a car mechanic i'm a bricklayer i'm a plumber the work gives us a sense of self-worth when you take jobs from people you destroy them you crush them and this carries over into that person's family this is toxic but beyond that if you want to be selfish if you have a business whatever product or service you provide Probably many of your customers are middle class. And if middle class goes away, people have less money to spend, you're going to make less money because you're going to have fewer customers. You know, a rising tide lifts all boats. If Americans make more money, they have more money to spend. That was the idea behind the economic stimulus package. Put money into the hands of the American, they'll go out and spend the money and, and stimulate the economy. When the economy contracts, companies lose business and they lose profits. So be greedy, okay? Be greedy, but in a smart way. Make sure that the people who work for you make enough money that they could buy the product. I wasn't a big fan of Henry Ford's um, morality. It was rumored that he was involved with Hitler and all kinds of crazy stuff. But he was a shrewd businessman, and he made sure that his Model T Ford 
was reachable by the people who worked for him. He made sure he paid them enough that they could buy one of the cars that they were building on the assembly line. You destroy the middle class, you're, you're killing the goose that laid your golden egg is what you're doing. But in any event, I digress. I, I, I did this event. Jeff Sessions was there. I had the opportunity to speak with, with the then senator. Good guy. I, I think the world of Jeff Sessions. Uh, there were other people there. And then I got a call from Fox News, and they said, Mike, can you come down to the studio? We'll send the car to pick you up. We need you on the air. Stuart Varney wants to interview you. He was sitting in for Neil Cavuto that day. And I was happy to get out of the heat. The air conditioner showed up. They took me to the studio. And Varney asked simple He said, give me a reason why you would oppose comprehensive immigration reform. My gosh, there's 20 beginning the idea that we have no capacity to interview these people so terrorists could eat property lawful status and we could endanger ourselves. Back to the times where I gave comprehensive a new name. I called it the Terrorist Assistance and Foundation Act. Senator Sessions liked it so much he quoted me from the floor of the Senate on three separate days during the floor debate and then credited my words that he was able to speak with defeating that terrible legislation and sent me a very nice certificate that hangs in the wall of my office at home. Um, so I, I know Jeff Sessions. He's a good guy. He's trying to do the right thing. He certainly was a senator, and I think he was when he was the attorney general. But Varney said to me, beyond national security, is there another issue? And I said, yes, let me tell you my own personal experience. Back in 1986, when we had the Reagan amnesty, this massive amnesty that was supposed to involve a million aliens, it wound up involving nearly four million. And nobody talks about how many millions of additional people were brought here by those legalized 3.5, 3.8, whatever that number was, million. Uh, probably now we're looking at 10 million people. And it encouraged a massive wave of illegal aliens for two reasons. And, and this is why I oppose it. Aliens who were legalized could no longer be exploited by their bosses. They got their cards, they went to their bosses, and they said, hey, Charlie, I'm going to keep working for you, but not for $5 an hour. And if you want me in on Saturday, I'll come in, but I expect to be paid time and a half. And I want you to pay me on the books. I want to contribute to Social Security. I want to be covered by workman's compensation. I want you to make sure that you do what's legally required. And don't give me this nonsense that you're not going to do this. and You're going to call immigration, that kind of nonsense. I won't tolerate. So I'm legal, and this is what I want. I want to be treated according to law. I want to be paid at least minimum wage. And these employers fired all those people that complained. So instead of helping these people live a better life, now they're making, whether you like the idea of the legalization program or not, and I was against it, but it's the law of the land. You know, if you watch the great movie, The Untouchables, with Kevin Costner and Sean Connery, I recommend it. It's one of the best cop movies I've ever seen. Um, they ask Kevin, the Kevin Costner character, he's playing Elliot Ness at the end of the movie, I hear they're going to legalize booze. What are you going to do? And his answer was very simple, have a drink. It's not that he was at war with booze. It's that he was paid to enforce the law. That's what law enforcement means. You legalize booze, I'll have a drink. But not if it's not legal, I won't. All right? So whether you agree or disagree with amnesty, the amnesty was provided. These aliens are now entitled to, to work here. But once they went back to their bosses who could no longer intimidate them, they got fired. And because there was no way to shut the door, we had a massive influx of illegal aliens who looked at the amnesty and said, you know what? If they could get legalized sooner or later, I'll get legalized. I'm heading for America. That fired the starter's pistol for aspiring illegal aliens from all over the world. So they came here, and they replaced the lawful aliens. They were out of work. They joined the unemployment line became competition for Americans and lawful immigrants looking for work, and we accomplished nothing good. So the people that, you know, were legalized lost their jobs. In fact, I know of one case where one of my informants, I helped him to, to get a green card in citizenship. He was a Mexican guy, um, Juan, and I thought the world of Juan. He was a really nice guy. He was very helpful to us, very decent. He was married to an American girl. I think they had a kid together, if I remember correctly. And I helped expedite his paperwork because he was very, very helpful, providing us with information so we could make arrests and go after 
employers who are hiring illegal aliens and doing all kinds of terrible things. And um, he called me up one day and said, you're not going to believe what just, ha- what just happened. I said, what happened? He said, well, my buddies and myself, we, we all have, you know, lawful status. I'm working in a restaurant five blocks from your office. We just got fired. So we went in and we raided the restaurant and he got his job back the next day. So when I, the short version for you and the short version for Stuart Varney is that the people who were legalized, because they were legal, the bosses knew they could not exploit them. So they fired them and hired the next wave of illegal aliens. I think that's a pretty easy concept to grasp. You give them a green card, you can't mess with them, you fire them, and you hire people you can mess with. This isn't complicated. Within a day, the uh, a subsidiary of ABC News, their, their, their second language network, said that the reason that I opposed comprehensive immigration reform was because it would end the exploitation of illegal aliens. I kid you not. Think about that. So I called the reporter up. I said, wait a minute, you're missing the point. I don't want to see anybody exploited. I'm happy that the law was changed with the amnesty that we can go after employers who intentionally hire illegal aliens and screw them over. But the point of the matter is that that's what's happening. Here you have people who were legalized being fired, losing their jobs, and the next wave of illegal aliens is getting those. They're getting the jobs. And he said, yes, but the issue is exploitation because they can't be exploited, the ones who just got legalized. I said, well, that's why they got fired, because they couldn't be exploited. But my issue is I want to end exploitation, that I want to end illegal immigration. Yes, but you have a problem because exploitation was no longer possible. I said for them, but not for the next wave. Well, after 25 minutes of dancing in circles, I finally told the guy that he could attempt an anatomical impossibility to put an interesting statement politely, and I hung up on him. This is what we are seeing with the media. They take what you say and twist it like a pretzel. You wouldn't even recognize the statements. I think it's a pretty clear concept, what I was trying to say. If you legalize people and they get fired and the next wave gets hired, what have we accomplished? Is not the same as saying, I hate the idea that these people can't be exploited anymore. But this is what we're dealing with, folks. Which brings us to New York City. They've now passed an ordinance in New York City that if you use hate and say to somebody, you're an illegal alien, you are now looking at a fine of, are you ready for this number? $250,000. Call somebody an illegal alien and do it with hate, with malice. Who's going to be the arbiter to determine whether or not you're using it as a hate statement? Threaten somebody with calling immigration, and you're looking at $250,000. There was nothing in the article, by the way, that said if you use the N-word, we're going to come after you. If you use any derogatory terms about Jews or Asians or what, no. Specifically, illegal aliens are now a specially protected class of people where if you dare say to somebody you're an illegal alien, you could now be hit with a $250,000 fine. What's First Amendment? By the way, the term alien simply means any person not a citizen or national of the United States. That's the definition. And you had one of the Castro brothers in Congress say that he was going to propose legislation that would strike the word alien from all of our immigration laws and other laws. We're going to eliminate the word alien. If you go back and read Newspeak, in Newspeak, all unnecessary words were eliminated so that you could reduce thought, so that you took away flexibility and understanding issues. That's exactly what is happening here. We're going to expunge the word alien when, in fact, all the word means is any person not a citizen or national of the United States. That is the legal official definition, Section 1101 of the Immigration and Nationality Act. This is a tactic of intimidation. This is because we are going to make it impossible to distinguish lawful immigrants from aliens who are here in violation of law. What sense does it make to have a legal immigration system if it doesn't matter how you come here? Why would you wait online to go through a doorway 
when the doorway is in the middle of an open field and all you have to do is walk around the doorway? Are you going to wait online for, for two hours to walk through the doorway when all you have to do is walk around the doorway? And meanwhile, what this means, it, it, this is more than rule of law. Oh, wow, who cares about rule of law? How many people have a radar detector in their car? This is about un, unbelievable numbers of foreign workers driving down more wages. The idea of giving free health care to illegal aliens, we will bankrupt the system. You know, Camilla Harris said, oh, we should be giving everybody, including the undocumented health care for free. Who's going to pay for it? How many doctors would that need? Are you going to turn the United States of America into the world's emergency room? What happens when we run out of drugs and beds and doctors and nurses and forces Americans and lawful immigrants? Because we have finite resources. What happens when we at the airport? First come, first serve, get on the airplane. Get on that train. Look like the trains that we see in the third world where people are roof trains. That what we're looking to do to the United States of America is that tenable? Look at the security issues, the public safety issues. How many more kids need to be killed by MS-13 gang members? How many more kids? There's nothing anti-immigrant about enforcing laws that keep criminals out of our immigrant communities. The most likely victim of violence from transnational gangs are the immigrants living within those ethnic immigrant communities, not just from Latin America. Asian organized crime, the Jamaican drug posses, the Italian mob, the Israeli mob, the Russian mob. How do I know? I used to arrest those thugs every day of the week. We were out there arresting them. And the communities were thankful that we arrested them because they were preying on the immigrant community. But look what the media does. If you want strong borders, you're anti-immigrant. If you want to enforce the immigration laws, you're anti-immigrant. The immigration laws were designed to make certain that foreign nationals wouldn't take the jobs of Americans or lawful immigrants. That's what those laws were about. Initially, the Labor Department ran immigration. Who cares? This is now an entire new mindset. It used to be the Democrats were the most vociferous, the strongest supporters of effective immigration law enforcement because they knew the impact that illegal alien workers had on wages. During the Depression, it was Roosevelt, number one, said, we're going to have a 40-hour work week. If you need to hire people for overtime, hire more workers. He also wanted the immigration laws enforced. Why? To make certain that American workers wouldn't have to compete with foreign workers. Maintain wages. Provide opportunities. What opportunities are we providing to American kids living in poverty? We aren't. When we keep on flooding America with more high-tech workers, and by the way, here we go, the Republicans voted against the national emergency on the border. So in other words, they ended the emergency. Hezbollah is still operating, and in fact, the military, and I'm writing a piece about this, has moved their forward operating base, their command and control from Qatar to South Carolina. They're working on a deal. Why? because they said that our forces are sitting ducks for the Iranians. We saw the drone strike. We saw what also happened with the Saudi soldiers who were attacked and basically defeated by, by allies of Iran. Our military understands that Iran is so desperate that they might well take action against us, and they have their sleeper agents in the United States, and you have the Republicans doing nothing to secure the border, and the Democrats and immigration law enforcement altogether. Folks, we've got to be aware of what's happening. We've got to share this information with as many of our fellow neighbors as possible. I would argue that if you're a parent, you can't be a good parent if you're not involved in the politics of the issues, because nothing less than the future of America and our children are hanging in the balance. Uh, we've got to be smart about where we are with all of this. Um, the Senate can't end the emergency on the border, because if they had that power... <laughs> Somebody didn't give that memo to Iran, the drug traffickers, and others. Uh, we have to wake up, folks. Um, you know, I always like to make the point that democracy is not a spectator sport. Please get involved. And, and for those of you who are of the Jewish faith, uh, I wish you a very happy, healthy, safe, peaceful New Year. But no matter how you measure the year, uh, I wish that for you as well. I thank you for joining me, and I hope that you will be tuning in again next week, right here again on the Michael Cutler Hour. Meanwhile, please check out front page 
mcmag.com and go to my website, michaelcutler.net, and share the information with as many folks as you can and be part of my Bucket Brigade of Truth. Thank you so much, folks. See you next week.